ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling for the heavyweight championship of the world. Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, what's up? You're listening to Movie Weight Classes. Uh, I'm Punya, and I'm joined by Parker and Mark, my co-hosts. Hey guys, I'm Parker. This is my voice. I'm Mark. I'm the other one. The other one. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about biopics. So that's movies just about real life. And we decided to make the distinction to not cover biopics about music, uh, since there are a lot of those. Uh, maybe that's a separate category. Uh, yes. Oh, it's definitely a separate category. That's yeah. a tease. <laughs> mm-hmm. So did you guys have a hard time finding ones or no? I didn't really have a hard time finding mine. I had a hard time categorizing mine. Like, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to call a lightweight. I couldn't figure out how to justify something as a middleweight opposed to a heavyweight. How'd you feel, Mark? Uh, I feel the same way. And I I kind of went in two directions that, you know, luckily kind of synced up. Like, the regular budget distinction that we try to stick to. And then also, you know, the um, the level of factual accuracy, if that makes sense. Because, you know, with biopics, a lot of people's lives are not that interesting. So, you know, directors <laughs> do have to kind of take, take add their own little spice in. Um, but when you're trying to tell the story, I don't buy it. when you're trying to tell the story of someone's life, um, I think being true is relatively important. Um, so I've kind of categorized under that thought as well. Yeah, I get that idea of truth. I I guess for me, I'm a little bit more lenient towards, um, kind of playing fast and loose with the truth just because at the end of the day, like humans' lives are kind of uninteresting. So you do have to add that little bit of Hollywood spice to make it a fun movie. If you just do it straight like you know exactly word for word event for event how a person's life played out it's probably not going to be nearly as interesting as the adaptation is it's true it's true yeah. and it's, I, it's, think- it's a, I think it's a good way to like cover up for you know like the details that you don't know because it's like when you're making a biopic you can't know exactly everything that was said in a room and all of that so i guess that's like a good opportunity yeah. to do your dramatizations there the stuff that isn't recorded. I think there definitely needs to have dramatization. I guess the question is how much and uh, uh, with what story. Like, are there different stories you think that lend itself to being more dramatized than others? Like, uh, a story of, say, a U.S. president is a little less easy to dramatize than a random doctor at a hospital saving children. I don't know. Right. And I think my biggest concern coming into this episode was before I kind of looked at it and found other ones was I was worried that I was going to pick three Oscar baits, you know, (laughs) because you find with biopics a lot, it's, hey, let's get this high caliber actor and they can perform as this historical figure and we'll get them an Oscar. Um, And I think that's a semi-frequent thing, but I was able to find uh, a few uh, that don't really follow that formula, luckily. Yeah, no, I definitely think the Oscar baity nature of biopics is something to note i uh, i'm not gonna cap i definitely have an oscar Beatty pick for my heavyweight um but i do think it is kind of the epitome of a biopic um but we'll get to that later yeah to be honest i hadn't even really thought about how many biopics are oscar Beatty until now and it's like wow there are a good number of examples 
It's like one of the few ways to gar- almost guarantee yourself a Best Picture nomination. You make a movie about Hollywood. You make a movie about a real person. <laughs> if you can do both at the same time, oh, you're golden. I guarantee Mank's going to be uh, nominated for a Best Picture, even though I don't think it's that great of a movie and probably one of Fincher's uh, worsts. It's still a movie about a real person and about Hollywood. And <laughs> the Academy eats yeah. that shit up, man. I mean, just look at The Artist in 2011. Like, a silent film won Best Picture because it was about Hollywood and about a real person. Or or Trumbo, which is Brian Cranston. You know, he's a writer mm-hmm. during the Red Scare. I love Brian Cranston. I think his performance is great, but the movie's kind of so-so. But, you know, still got some nominations because, wow, Brian Cranston is a real-life Hollywood writer. That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> the Academy eats that shit up. <laughs> or The Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. Yes, which Incredible was... performance. Incredible performance, but just a bad movie. Bad <laughs> it was movie. not fun to watch. It wasn't fun <laughs> to watch at all. I feel like there's been a, a lot of string of those recently. Like, I, I remember going to see The Post and covering it for my uh, newspaper review job that I had at the time. And just being bored to tears with it. Um I don't, I don't know if y'all remember that movie whatsoever. No. No. It was like Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. I want to say it was directed by Spielberg in his uh, downward spiral in the 2000s. And I think that shows that I've never even, I don't think, heard of The Post. And it's got Meryl yeah. Streep, Tom Hanks, and directed by Spielberg. Like, yeah, that yeah. just proves our point. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> it wasn't good. You guys want to go ahead and just jump in? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Mark, you want to kick us off with yeah, Lightweight? Yeah, I can kick us off with Lightweight. <clears throat> so the summer of 2018 saw a rash of really really good movies that uh actually i think me and parker were able to see a couple of them together there was eighth grade came out uh sorry to bother you came out and right at the end of the summer came black klansman um uh, that was that's what that's on my list too that's on your list yeah <laughs> Ron, the story of Ron Stallworth, who is a police officer played by John David Washington, excellent performance, um, as he infiltrates the KKK with the help of Adam Driver, who is basically his white voice, his white persona. Um, Also an excellent performance from the both of them. They have great chemistry. The movie's fun. It's a Spike Lee joint. Um, you know, and, and everything that comes al- ar- along with being a Spike Lee movie um, is in this movie. Uh, the reason I put it in lightweight is not only was the budget lower than my other two movies coming in at about, um, oh, I lost it. I think about 20K. Um, but 20K or 20 million? 20 million. <laughs> <laughs> a true low budget Big film. difference. <laughs> 20 million. Um, but... It is not exactly factual. Um, There's a lot of liberties taken within the story. The wide, broad story, this black guy did use a white uh, partner to infiltrate the KKK. 100% true. But the rest is kind of, you know, up in the air. Um, Honestly, the bright spot of this movie is Topher Grace's performance as David Duke, uh, as the head (laughs) of the KKK. You see... Eric Foreman as this very, very likable, incredible racist. And it's awesome. Uh, excuse it's... me, uh, you mean Venom? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to tie back to Alfred Molina again. Always, always. <laughs> Alfred um, Molina and Gremlins. <laughs> this movie is really good. I enjoyed it a lot. It capped off for me what was, you know, a summer that really reinvigorated my interest in film. 
Um, so on a personal level, it was very, very interesting to me. But it's also just a fun movie. Fun maybe is the wrong word, but it's like an enjoyable movie <laughs> um, with a message um, and, you know, a look into our history as a nation, which is, you know, I, it's cliche to say, but is more relevant now than ever before. Um, and if you ask anyone who's seen this movie, they'll say they like it. And I think that's enough for it to be considered as a heavy contender for the lightweight belt. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I had this as my as my middleweight actually, because because um, the other ones I was looking at were slightly lower budget. Um, but no, mm-hmm. this one it's it's such a good movie. Um, like in terms of like to to your point that, uh, you know, I, I'm forgetting how you said it, but they're just with any Spike Lee movie, there's so many parallels to like stuff that's going on even today. Uh, and it's it's like done in a way that's not super heavy handed, and it's like it gets the message across without. You know, it, it while still being a movie about someone that did something in like the seventies, you know, um, but in general, yeah, it's like it. I think it's a, a movie that'll age re- really well. Um, it just like will stand up. Uh, yeah, and like you said, uh, I I didn't know Topher Grace's name, but no, that like I was gonna say the guy from the seventies show killed it as the fucking Grand Wizard yeah. of the KKK. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a really I, good I, movie. I, I gotta push back on something you said. Though, I agree. And I don't think yeah. this movie is subtle at all. <laughs> at okay, all. that's that's my that's my problem with this movie. Unfortunately, is I do think the third act really falls off. Uh, the first two acts are so so strong, but once it like, do y'all remember the climax of this movie? Do y'all remember what happens at the end of this movie? The bomb. It's like a weird bomb scene that is shot in slow motion where you don't really understand why all these characters are convulging at this point where the bomb is. It's it's just really odd, and I don't have a problem with that. I guess, and it man, it's a Spike Lee joint, so subtle is kind of out, out the window. <laughs> um, I just, uh, the ending is so beat you over the head yeah. of message over movie that it kind of... I don't think it rubbed me the wrong way. That's the wrong way of putting it. It just, I felt like the movie's subtle, like subtle kind of take on the way that um, America still is today didn't need the very direct flash forward to um, the Charlottesville. Oh, yeah, at the very end. Yeah, yeah, I forgot forgot about that part. That that part for sure. It was such an odd choice. I wasn't really considering that like part of the like plot of the movie. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. I will say. No, I get that. I will say, because I was going to push back on the same thing, this movie is not subtle, but that's part of the reason I enjoy it. And that whole bomb plot is part of the added in stuff. That's the part that's not true. That's like the main thing that like Spike Lee threw in there that didn't actually happen. And I actually remember after we saw this movie, me and Parker argued about that Charlottesville little bit at the end i don't know yeah. if you remember this parker everyone else yeah. was in the car and me and parker were just kind of going at each other because i liked it it's not subtle it does beat you over the head but you know at a certain point when we're still dealing with these same problems you have to be beat over the head um and i think that that's a, a credit to the film rather than a detriment i 100 percent agree there I, I think it was just I really liked the message the movie was portraying without that and it just kind of was like to me, it felt like Spike Lee just saying, like, uh, look how smart I am. Look, at, it's the parallels today. Look how smart I am. Praise me, praise me, praise me. And that just kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. To, I do think it's a great choice. To Mark's point, actually, I feel like it, it actually makes sense that, like, uh, it, like while maybe it wasn't necessary, it there's a good chance that they, that part might have been included. And because it's like, will people get it if we have any level of subtlety or should we just 
outright at the end just fully be like this is what we meant like uh, yeah. it's it's yeah it's like an extra thing but i i agree that's not it it doesn't necessarily add to the movie like that i i have the same issue with the five bloods too it's just a slightly too uh, unsubtle for my liking and that's that's spike lee in, in general i think his only really subtle film would be do the right thing yeah and even that's kind of pushing it on on subtle yeah uh, uh punya you want to go next i don't know why yeah. i said mark <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so originally I was thinking of doing, you know, Black Clansman as my middle pick, but now that, um, you know, now that that's as, as a lightweight, I'm thinking about shifting mine around. So I had two alternates for lightweight and, uh, right. this one is not truly a biopic. So I, I, I think I asked you guys beforehand, um, like, does it count as a biopic if it's not a hundred percent about like a real person, but it's done as if it's like a biopic about someone real. Um, mm-hmm. so the one I picked for, uh, for my lightweight is pop star, never stops, never stopping. Oh my God. Um, yo, <laughs> yo, I hate Punya. What, a, what the hell? Yeah, I do too. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So pop star, never stop, never stopping. Wow. What a title. Um, that's, that's a movie, um, created by, uh, the three guys in the lonely Island, Andy Samberg. Uh, oh, I shouldn't have started saying all of their names, Yorma and the other guy. Akiva. Akiva, yes. Um, and it's such a such a funny movie. I like growing up. I was such a huge fan of The Lonely Island, and especially Andy Samberg, um, like really influential to me. So seeing that they had a movie together, that was really cool. And um, you know, this is obviously it's not about a real person. It's about a fake uh, pop star named Connor for real, who is just like the biggest douchebag. I feel like they based him on like Justin Bieber and like some other people, and. Um, He's just a huge douchebag. Kind of does what he, whatever he wants. Like lets his his old like his old group go. Uh, you know, he's the successful one. And no one else gets successful, and you know he's just kind of a dick about it. Uh, kind of, it's interesting because again, you know, it's about a fake character, but then you can tell that there's like a lot that came from their own lives and their own careers. Because uh, I mean, there are they are a group of three. And, you know, they made music. Andy Samberg was the kind of undeniable, like, breakout success from that group. So I wonder how much of it is, you know, kind of rooted in their own struggles and things they've faced as a group. So uh, from that standpoint, it's kind of interesting as a biopic. And, of course, you know, the whole movie is shot like a documentary. It's a mockumentary and they have some, like, actual big celebrities come in and guest star. And it's it's a pretty funny ride through all the way through. The music in that movie is incredible. Yeah, and that's oh going to be my point. That's going to be my oh point. My God, is Punya, you uh, you would have had a slam dunk here if we had been doing musical biopics. And I didn't. I didn't think about that. I think. Yeah. I think you got caught up on the great choice and forgot I to did. make it the category. Yeah, it's it's because it's because <sighs> yeah. this is my alternate, so I didn't even think about the music aspect of it. Damn. But great choice. And it's such an important. It's such an important part of that movie too. Like I'm just thinking the "I'm So Humble" song with Adam Levine yeah. is oh, yeah. so fucking funny. Yeah. Like, don't they have a song about uh, something to do with Bin Laden? Yeah, fuck I don't Bin Laden. Exactly. <laughs> she wants to <laughs> fuck her out in the U.S. government. Fuck Bin Laden. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, the donkey roll is iconic. That's gonna. That movie, I think, is a great choice. Um, if we were including music, uh, but man, that's, that's going to be a cult hit. There's no question about that. That's going to be in 20 years from now. It's, it's like their last film, Hot Rod, like Hot Rod is an incredible film that everyone I feel like have seen, but no one saw in theaters, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, I, and that, I'd say I, I definitely feel like that's the trajectory for pop star. Pop star, Sorry, pop star is basically if Spinal Tap had been created four years ago. You know, it's that <laughs> same thing. It follows the like Spinal Tap was obviously the first major mockumentary released, and mm-hmm. it's about a band. Um, so Pop Star owes a lot to it. But I think Pop Star is. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There's another. Uh, there's another mockumentary about a fake. Uh, fake musician and i cannot remember the name i'm trying to google it right now but i feel like there's been a couple of those and i think pop star is the most polished and the most the best spiritual successor quote unquote for spinal tap which is an excellent excellent movie um and i think that's a great pick i i will not be voting for because you messed up i know yeah i really (laughs) disqualified myself there the spinal tap uh analogy is fantastic it's definitely spinal tap for the modern era um i'll go into mine next uh so for my lightweight uh what do you get when you mix carthridge texas jack black and matthew mcconaughey what do you get you get the 2011 film bernie directed by richard linklater have y'all heard about this movie yeah, i have i haven't yeah, seen it but... i have okay i love this movie this movie is super super unique um so this it's about a real life guy named bernie who lived in carthage he was a morgue assistant uh and funeral director there and in his time there he became more or less romantically involved with a widower with a ton of money and they would kind of go on trips to russia and he would buy all these expensive things and they just kind of had the perfect life but she was terrible everyone in the town hated her and something happens between bernie and her i don't really want to spoil it because i think it's a really unique uh sort of uh, subversion to what you think is going to happen what makes this movie unique though is the fact that uh linklater the director went through and interviewed the real people that live in carthage texas who knew the real bernie and so he is inserting these real people into shots with Jack Black, who plays the fake Bernie, quote-unquote. And so it creates this film that really feels like you're watching a documentary of what happened to this guy being reenacted and acted by um, Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey. Um, it is as East Texas as you can get, man. Like, I, this is what I thought Texas was going to be like before I moved here. It really was. Thank God we ended up in Austin, not this part of the country. Um had a ter- super small budget, about $5 million, grossed only about $10 million. It's not very well known, but when it comes to biopics, it is a very unique story with an incredible Jack Black performance and one of the most unique styles and kind of um, showings of a biopic I've ever seen. I've never seen someone take and interview the real people involved in um whatever happens in this town and inserting them into shots with the reenactments. I think it's really unique. Yeah. And I'm, I love Linkletter. He's in my top three, uh, I think directors. Um, and I, I have seen this movie. It's been a while. I do remember being incredibly impressed with Jack Black. It's very out of the norm for him. Um, and I don't want to say a breakthrough performance cause I mean, it's fucking Jack Black, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's something different than he usually does. And he's incredible in it. And I, I believe, yeah. uh, if I could be wrong, but I believe this is one of the things he's most proud of in his career is this movie. And it, it's got that link letter, you know, kind of like realism in it, which is added to the fact that it has these interviews with real people, 
you know um yeah and it's uh you know not shot like in like a breathtaking way but in a link mm-hmm. letter way where you're like wow this is you know it it is cohesive and the cinematography helps tell the story rather than being showy and doing its I think, own thing. I think the cinematography were is as basic as it is because it needs to work in the context of the documentary footage that they shot with the real people. Yeah. If you have this documentary footage juxtaposed against this high-budget, really filmy kind of movie look, it wouldn't work as well as the sort of realistic angle that they took. I, I do. Yeah, I I love this movie. It's a good one. I I like it a lot. I had not thought about it or even considered it, and uh, I'll probably actually rewatch it because I'm I'm a slug yeah. for Linklater. But um, it's it's, a, it's such a great movie yeah, if you've never seen it. it I highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all want to vote? Actually, uh, okay, wait. Before we do, I have. Yeah. Can I yeah. make one one more? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna like. All right, change my, change my choice. Salve, make salvage it, salvage it, give it a very it. quick go. justification. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. change mine from Popstar to. Uh, to this movie, uh, a few a futile and stupid gesture. Nice. Uh, and Ooh, nice. yeah, and that is a movie. Uh, it's that one isn't actually a biopic because it's about someone real. Um, although I am truly forgetting the name, and I feel really bad about that uh, of the actual guy that the biopic is about. But it's about the guy who started National Lampoon, um, the the magazine, and it mm-hmm. stars uh, Will Forte, um, Dom Hall Gleason. Uh, a couple other, couple other big people, um, really, really great cast. Um, and you know, just goes through the kind of, kind of story and like the kind of like rise and fall of this guy's career. Um, and the mystery behind his death and the mystery. Yeah, no. And they do something really interesting that I've never seen in a, in a movie. And it really throws you off is the fact that they have this guy playing the, like being the narrator and playing the, the main guy, the main character of it. Uh, but he is actually not like you, he, they lead you to think that this old guy who is narrating it is the guy. And then you only mm-hmm. find out at the very end of the movie, this is just some, this is just an actor. And I, I thought I'd recognized him before too. I thought I'd recognized him in Arrested Development. Uh, and I assumed, oh, they just got the National Lampoon guy to be in Arrested Development. So that's why I recognize him. But no, now it, it makes so much more sense. They just had an actor play him uh, and only reveal at the very end. No, he's actually been dead uh it's such an interesting bait and switch i didn't even i hadn't even thought of that as like a like a plot device in a biopic uh so kind of kind of yeah kind of an interesting choice there yeah and i yeah, think that's, I... go ahead parker no 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 you, you first i think first off the name is doug kinney for right. the guy mm-hmm. second yeah. off the best part about this movie is joel McHale playing chevy chase Oh yeah, <laughs> um, especially considering the background of Joel McHale probably interacting more with Chevy Chase more than anyone recently. Yeah, no, that's so funny. Um, and mm-hmm. you know he captures that. That I had someone ask if we are worried about like if we got big about getting sued, um, like for libel for you know shit talking Chevy Chase. Um, I'm not particularly worried, and I'm going to continue to shit talk no. Chevy Chase. Um, Joel McHale perfectly captures that asshole Chevy Chase personality. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that, to me, is by far the best part of the film. It's a good movie. Yeah, and yeah, a, also came that's out a great choice. in 2018, furthering my point that 2018 was a fucking bomb of a year for movies. It was a great <laughs> year. Um, all right, well, we'll go ahead and vote. I, I'll kick us off. I'm going to go with, from top to bottom... Black Klansman, Bernie, and 
Um, one more time, it was the feudal uh, what? A, a feudal and Sorry. stupid gesture. A feudal and stupid gesture. I'll have to go with that third only because I would say out of the three, it's the most unremarkable when it comes to uh, stylistically, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that Black Klansmen and, and Bernie have a much stronger through line and much stronger style that kind of carries it. Yeah, totally. I agree. What about you, Punya? I would go Black Klansman first. And then honestly, based on what you're saying about Bernie, it does sound good. It does sound, it does sound like it's like a very well-made movie and just purely based on what, what I'm hearing from it, I would put it above um, A Feudal and Stupid Gesture. Because that, okay. that one is a, it, like that one that I picked is a good movie, but it it might not be the most uh, innovative in terms of like, this is the this is a really good biopic. It's an excellent story. Yeah. There's yeah. no question about that. Punya really also sorry, my dog. Yeah, Punya really got stuck with his backup wide receivers out yeah. there. His, his Browns <laughs> this week. Really pulling a Cleveland Browns. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm gonna fly. go. Actually, um, I could could give myself a sweep here, but I'm gonna put Bernie up up top. I think uh, I'm gonna give that my okay. first, and then Black Klansman, and then Feudal and Stupid Gesture. Um, which does still give me the point, but I do think Bernie mm-hmm. is a better movie um, than Black Clansman. And that might be because of my Linklater fanboyism. I don't know. But yeah. I do like Bernie. A I'm lot. right there with you. I think that was a great, great choices all around the board, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you want to kick off middleweight, Parker? Yeah, I'll roll into it. Um, so for my middleweight, I had a really interesting time. I think I cycled through like four or five different movies before landing on what I landed on, which is... The 2017 film starring Michael Keaton, Nick Offerman, Patrick Wilson. It's the founder, the story of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Have y'all seen this? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, that was a good one. Yeah, it's an excellent movie. It is criminally underrated. I I feel like it it really served well being on Netflix for as long as it has been. Um, I've been able to recommend it to a lot more people, uh, having the instant access there. It's directed by John Lee Hancock and written by Rob Robert Seigel. Um, It's the story of Ray Kroc, who's a salesman in the 1950s who happens upon the McDonald's brothers and their revolutionary fast food hamburger. He then, through kind of just being a conniving son of a bitch, swindles the McDonald's brothers out of their genius idea and turns McDonald's into the corporate juggernaut that it is today. Um, And outside of being just uh, like a straight up shill for McDonald's as a movie, outside of having Ronald McDonald show up in the film, it is a genuinely interesting character study about someone that is so dedicated and so driven to make this a success. Um, At the beginning of the film, you're really shown just how far he's fallen in his different business ventures. So the fact that he has this golden ticket land in his lap. He really tries to do everything possible uh, to make sure that it doesn't fall away, um, including being as ruthless as humanly possible. Uh, It's during the Michael Keaton renaissance after Birdman. Um, He does an amazing job in this film playing Croc, kind of gives it that asshole nature, but you never really, you never think of him as the bad guy. You're always sort of rooting for him to succeed. Laura Dern's in this movie in a very underused role. Same with uh, Linda Cardellini. I think they're both great. Patrick Wilson, BJ Novak, uh, Nick Overman, and John Carroll Lynch in supporting roles. Um, $25 million budget, only made about $24 million. Uh, it's definitely a sleeper hit, but one that is an excellent character study. Mm-hmm. 
And if you haven't seen this, I really do suggest you go onto Netflix and check it out because it really it was 100%. was a sleeper hit. Not a lot of people saw it, and it is fantastic. Um, yeah. I will say that maybe kind of outside the story, it kind of falls like the you know, which is obviously the central point of the film. <laughs> Mechanically, there's nothing super impressive here. Um, I don't no, think. No, sure. um, not at all. But that kind of comes with the genre. Uh, but the movie is carried by the performance absolutely through and throughout. Absolutely, yeah. uh, especially especially Keaton. You really, I, I was engrossed the entire time watching Keaton. Yeah, that's yeah. A excellent. And a little tease you might hear from Michael Keaton later. Whoa! Whoa! That's Whoa. What we call foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly forgot what we called it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pause. It's been a uh, while. Dude, you want to go for your middle? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so my middle, so this was the one that I initially was going to pick as my lightweight, but then now got promoted to middle. Um, it's The Big Sick. Uh, the Big Sick Ooh. is a, um, I guess it's a romantic comedy. It stars Kamel Nanjiani, and it's about it's about Kamel Nanjiani himself and his wife, Emily Gordon. Um and just like the hell of the time they go through uh, at the very beginning of their relationship, um, both with like the actual relationship side issues they have. And then, of course, with uh, Emily falling sick and, you know, him, uh, Camille having to, you know, sign her off to be in a coma and then dealing with, you know, her, her parents and dealing with everything that comes with that. Uh, really interesting movie, uh, especially because, you know, it's not not every day you see like the director make a biopic about themselves and also star in it and also do all of it and it, it really interesting yeah to like a concept of a movie itself um and it just really like tugs at your heartstrings uh Camille Nanjiani does a great job of like being like you know being the bridge for the audience of like being lost and scared and you know like uh portraying those feelings well I think it's yeah takes you on a takes you on a real ride even it's like even if you know how the movie's gonna end, it's just it's it's all about how you how you get there, um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a it was a pretty small production, um, like a smaller budget, uh, which is why I thought it was a good choice for middleweight. It's on uh, Prime. It's it's I think it was Amazon's first like funded original movie or something they bought it I, I believe if i'm not mistaken they bought the script uh during sundance it was their first major pr uh production uh they funded the entire thing and for clarification real quick kamel actually didn't direct this film it was directed by oh. uh michael showalter oh, okay. um, but him that. and emily gordon did write the film okay. and i think that makes sense. i think him writing it and it being that personal story like you said it pulls at your heartstrings and i think that connection there you know, this is about his life, and then he's in the movie, and I think, A, his performance is obviously very, very, very personal. The script is very, very personal, and all of that combines to really, really make... It's an excellent movie. Excellent movie, yeah. and I think that um, he's a big reason why it's an excellent movie, obviously. It's a, a vehicle for him, um, and... Definitely got to mention Holly Hunter and Ray Romano as oh, yeah. uh, Emily's parents. Yeah. They are unbelievable. <laughs> Ray Romano especially, yeah. I think, gives one of his career performances in this film. That's an excellent pick. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I like, that. I'm sitting I, here thinking I got no, I got no knocks. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 truly one of the few romantic comedies I can I can watch and actually feel something in my cold dead heart yeah. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because it's like you could view it as a biopic if you know that it's about Kamel Nanjiani and his wife but then you also it 
if you don't know that, which I watched it with Sarah and she didn't know that, it just stands on its own as a, as a really good movie overall. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point, bringing up the fact that, you know, it, it isn't really presented as a biopic outside of the fact that Kumail is playing a character named Kumail. If you change his character name, it you could pass that off completely as an original story. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an excellent pick. Yeah. Um, also, I, fuck you for all these good picks. Yeah, God dude, damn it. He like, <laughs> okay, I'm still I pissed. disqualified myself with one, so I have to come with other good picks. <laughs> you got to make it up. I'm still pissed that in the first episode, he pulled out Dark Knight, and neither of us had even considered the <laughs> Nolan Batmans for a superhero movie. Like, I, I was still like, feel of course, that's that. the most obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I didn't pick yeah. it. I'm just like, oh, yeah, no one's going to pick that. I didn't even think about it, man. I didn't even Here we are, eating crow. <laughs> um, all right, I picked the social network uh, uh, for my middleweight yeah and great i actually pick. talked to parker a little bit while we were waiting for uh punya to hop on a little bit about the social network and he brought up an interesting point that is this a biopic about mark zuckerberg or is it a biopic about facebook and that because he was considering doing this movie and he decided it was about facebook and so he didn't want to do it but i would argue even if it is about facebook it's an excellent biopic about facebook um, you know, obviously you got David Fincher, uh, is the, uh, writer, um, or Aaron Sorkin's daddy. the writer, sorry, daddy, Aaron Sorkin. Okay. And then daddy, daddy, <laughs> Both daddy, Aaron Sorkin and, and daddy, daddy Fincher. And then daddy Fincher is the director. It's shot incredibly well. You know, Aaron yeah. Sorkin, I love him. He's up his own butt with his scripts, but I love him for it. Uh, yeah, he's right up in there. Um, <laughs> and so the, the script is tight, you know, the dialogue is good. The, it's shot really, really well. Um, performances, we got, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, also known as Michael Sarah Light. Um, <laughs> you know, he's excellent. We got uh, Rooney Mara, it's a smaller part, but she's still really good. Uh, Andrew Garfield, excellent as Eduardo, uh, you know, Mark's buddy. Uh, I think the best part of the movie is Justin Timberlake as the founder of uh, Napster. Uh, That's a weird way to say Disney Channel's bring this song. (laughs) (laughs) And Army Hammer as uh, the Winklevoss twins performing as both of them um, and just being, you know, East Coast elite as hell. Uh, Oh, it's so good. The cast (laughs) is excellent. The writing is excellent. The director is excellent. The story is relevant. Um, and it really gives insight into something that, you know, Facebook is, if it hadn't been Facebook, maybe it would have been something else, but Facebook is what created this social media world that we live in now. So I think this is a very important movie for where we're at now. And I think the thought process that it shows behind the creation of Facebook is a lot of the problems with social media. A lot of the things they thought were really important are a lot of the detriments that are affecting us as a society now. And I think that's really interesting to go back and look at when this was made in 2010. And it's 100%. almost, I don't want to say a warning, but it's kind of foreboding, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, totally. 100%. It, it actually, it makes me wonder, like I was, I watched it recently and I, it made me think about like the public perception of Facebook has changed so much since that movie came out. And I mean, while obviously people were critical of Facebook back then, it wasn't like the way we view it now, where it's like Facebook is this evil company that's just out to like harvest your data type deal. And Mark Zuckerberg is like the robot behind it all. Uh, if, if, it, if it were made now, I, I really wonder if they would have played into kind of showing Mark Zuckerberg more as like 
kind of a villain because it's like um and actually going back to your point of like is this a is this a biopic about facebook or is it about mark zuckerberg and i feel like it's like it is it is a biopic about facebook but at the same time mark zuckerberg is the main protagonist and antagonist in it so it's kind of like it's like he's in a, he's like uh He's just super linked to it. So yeah, he is both. the main protagonist, but he is such a yeah. dick that like you yeah. don't like him. You know, it's the story of him and how he came to create this. And even back in 2010, you know, where like you said, public perception of Facebook was a lot better. They're still portraying Zuckerberg as this piece of garbage, and I think totally. that's uh, uh, you know a credit to the research team and a credit to you know the writing uh and the performance of jesse eisenberg in what is i think by far his best performance of his career jesse eisenberg was born uh, jesse eisenberg was born to recite aaron sorkin dialogue yeah <laughs> he does it better than anyone else he really does like the first the first scene of this movie is i want to say like two minutes long maybe and it is seven or eight pages long yeah and it is as snappy and quick-paced as you'll get for dialogue. And it, Heisenberg really knocks it out of the park for the Sorkin dialogue. For sure. Um, Parker, you want to vote? Yeah. Um, Founder, Big Sick, Social Network, just as a refresher. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Big Sick because I think the fact that you can watch it not as a biopic lends to it being a little bit better of a general movie. Um then the founder, then social network. My reason for voting social network last is I do think it's a heavyweight. I don't think you can classify this as a middleweight. This is Fincher's masterpiece. Um, there's no question about that. Well, arguably seven or fight club, but I look at this as Fincher's masterpiece. So I can't see that as a middleweight. A so point. the reason it was originally my heavyweight pick, but upon budget research, 40 million. Oh. That's it. Huh. That's, okay i guess because because overall it's like not that crazy of a movie that needs you know needs to be high budget but yeah really interesting. the yeah. craziest cgi is just the army hammer doubling and yeah. it was you know this cast you know sounds like nuts right now but at the time these were up-and-comers you know these weren't mainstay people necessarily so you're not paying a bunch for that but that's credit to the casting for you know being able to grab these up-and-comers that are now household names that are now you know top tier actors yeah, no, I you make a good point, but my opinion stays. That's fine. <laughs> Punya. I'm gonna go big sick social network founder. Um mostly because because I really like the founder and I don't want to put it last, but then at the same time, like what we talked about, it's it just seems like it's got the least unique new stuff going on for it. Um whereas yeah. social social network, love the cinematography, the editing, kind of the performances. Um, but yeah. Uh, it felt like it was a it just edged it out a little bit yeah i'm gonna go ahead and give big sick the sweep um i think that is a killer choice punya um yeah that was it's the most unique of the movies it's the most uh heartfelt you know and that like i said that's all because of camille um and it stands alone and i think that's by far the best out of these three um from several several viewpoints uh and then i'll go social network second and the founder third for the same reasons as you punya yeah, I, I really can't disagree with that. I just look at social network as a masterpiece, so I can't I can't justify it being a middleweight. Yeah. But I understand that the style of it is significantly better than the founder. There's no question mm -hmm. there. So that's a three first. I think that might be the first sweep that we've had. Um, 
I can't really remember, and I don't have my document saved, but uh, I believe. So we're calling it the first nice. sweep. And if it's not, yeah. if it's not, then I'm pretty sure Punya had the other sweep, so it's fine. Yeah. Goddamn <laughs> so we can, we can just forget what about that fuck? one for sure. <laughs> Bullshit. All right, Mr. Ringer. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Mr. Ringer, let's okay. go. What All you right. got? Yeah, I will start it off with, on heavyweights. So my choice was Vice. Uh, it is... <laughs> bastard bastard man that was mine <laughs> Punya's bastard man <laughs> i wanted to go first damn it <laughs> is that was that your pick too yeah 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 go ahead that's though. funny um, <laughs> um yeah i couldn't not pick vice it's just i think it's one of the most unique biopics i've ever seen um stylistically performance wise yeah I, there's like very little i can knock on it um if you don't know it's christian bale starring as dick cheney uh and you know just going through the entirety of his life you know like early life leading up to you know being in in the presidency and all of that uh it's like i'm going to talk about just like the style of it first i've never first of all it's interesting how they go with the narrator um i mean they have their narrator be a person who later comes into the plot but it's so unclear who this random person is that's telling the story at first so you're really wondering where it's all leading to uh, on top of that, you know, just crazy cinematography, like really interesting scenes, uh, just the way that they build tension and then break it instantly. They'll have like a really intense scene where everyone's, you know, like walking through, walking through the White House and then suddenly just record scratch and then Dick Cheney like collapses, has a heart attack. Uh, and it just like has comic relief. Um, they, they do an interesting job of like being funny in it too, which is absolutely not what I expected. Uh, I love the the fake out ending uh, where they they you know they show Dick Cheney and his family and it's like Dick Cheney never went into the public eye again. He and his family raise golden retrievers in their property, uh, and then they just completely do the one eighty after that, and he goes into politics. And then it's like, oh wow, here's the actual part of Dick Cheney that I know about. And yeah, just really interesting style. You I several times forgot that Christian Bale was playing Dick Cheney. And it's it's just a crazy performance. You you wouldn't think of. Sometimes I was I was wondering like why did they pick Christian Bale of all people to play him? But I mean also like why not? He killed it. He did he did a great job of playing the role and you know making you forget he's him. Yeah, um, Parker, you mind if I uh, rip this apart real quick? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, all right. I love this movie. There are a lot of problems with it. First off, <laughs> it is incredibly over edited. There are several scenes. The, the first that comes to mind is the fishing scene where, you know, it's juxtaposed to him fishing with him trying to get, you know, what he wants out of the vice presidency. It's like, oh, he's fishing for, you know, his stuff, you know, <laughs> ah, look at that. Second, the biggest problem with this film is the framing device. The framing device is unnecessary and it is a detriment to what is basically like nine incredible performances. The framing device, if you don't know, is the narrator throughout the movie keeps popping up. You don't know who he is. And then at the end, it's revealed that he is a uh, soldier who went to Iraq and was killed because of Dick Cheney's policies. And then Dick Cheney 
when he has a heart attack, gets that soldier's heart for the heart transplant. So it really is just hammering home that, look at how he takes advantage of the armed forces. Wow, he killed this man and took his heart and like all that stuff. And it's just completely unnecessary and detracts from a groundbreaking performance for, you know, Christian Bale. Steve Carell as Donald Rumsfeld, you know, with his little jowls, awesome. Uh, the 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 best part is by far Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush is like incredible oh, yeah. and spot on. But this movie um, is a little full of itself editing wise, and I think that really detracts from its potential as a biopic because it's distracting and unnecessary. That's a good point. It's like I liked that because it was you. Un- it's what made the movie unique. But I do see how it like takes away from it like doing its goal as a biopic because i definitely it like makes you pay attention to the editing a little bit too much i remember thinking like oh i can't believe they edited that edited it this way uh so yeah that might stand out to other people too for sure punya have you seen the big short uh no i have not okay so the big short is adam mckay's first uh film he's the guy that directed this also by the way do you know what films adam mckay made before he went into dramatic this is my movies? favorite part no, I don't. <laughs> so Adam McKay made Anchorman and Talladega Nights. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Y- now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's known for his comedic elements. So when you say that you were surprised that Vice had comedic elements, I was surprised with how much of the comedic elements they allowed into that film. Mm. Um and the reason I bring up the big short is the big short is the first time that he really went for this unique kind of almost over editing style for it and the big short if you don't know is a film about um christian bale playing a i believe financial broker who foresees the 2008 housing crisis coming and decides basically to short the housing crisis ends up making like billions and billions of dollars on it but the way the reason that the style works in that movie is because there are so many really crazy high concepts in the financial world that they just kind of brush over and treat like the audience knows what's going on. And a lot of the time the movie will recognize that, Oh, the audience has no, uh, no, uh, clue, like no clue whatsoever what we're talking about. Let us pause. We're then going to go to Margot Robbie in a bathtub and Margot Robbie in this bathtub is going to explain what the characters are talking about. So that when you go back in the scene, you have this new understanding. And it's very kind of fast and loose with the editing style, which is something that I think he took into Vice, but something that wasn't needed for Vice, but was needed for the big short. Because Vice on its own is a more compelling and interesting story with better performances. So it didn't need this framing device and this technique to kind of mask around the weaker elements like the big short needed. That's a good point. I yeah. definitely recommend other you than, watch other it. Other than Punya. that lead up to that moment uh, of juxtaposition that Mark was talking about where it's like, look, he took this man's heart. Other than that, you're right. It is a little inconsequential. Like there's kind of no reason for it to be narrated by that guy or for it to be narrated yeah. at all other than yeah. just to keep the pace. And like I said, I love this movie. I was going to, you know, I was going to pick it and let Parker do that ripping apart that I just did. But uh, everything that worked in the big short editing wise was unnecessary here. And the movie was worse off for it. Despite my love for the performances specifically, Christian Bale, the thing that that man does to his body, just look at a picture of him in the Machinist versus him in, in Vice. And that's not CGI in Vice. He actually gained all that weight. That's not CGI in the Machinist. He actually ate an apple a day. 
you know like he's crazy and it, it works it helps in his performances I don't know how he's a lunatic, but it, it works. And I, <laughs> I love did not movie. know that he did. I thought that was all like prosthetics. No, <laughs> yeah, it was. No, that was real. That fat. was real. Yeah, he's that makes sense. Insane. Why it looked so good? I was like, that's yeah. that's some yeah. damn good makeup there. <laughs> uh, it's a good. It's a great pick, Punya. It's one I would have made, but yeah. I, I I I gotta rip it apart for that reason. For sure. For sure. I also think uh, we definitely got to mention Amy Adams. Yes. She's phenomenal yeah. in that oh, film. The too. entire cast is, I don't think there's a weak link. It's excellent. No. And, you know, I was excited for this movie from the first trailer. And I don't think I've ever been excited for a biopic like I was for this movie. So everything I said, yeah. all the critiques I said, you know, regardless, I do think this movie is fantastic. And what's so funny about that too, Mark, is I feel like we were in the same boat. We were so excited about this movie because of how interesting and unique The Big Short was. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of copy-pasted the interesting and unique parts of The Big Short. And it just, there was a strange disconnect there. And I, it's, it, I definitely recommend you watching Big Short. Pooney. Yeah, okay, I yeah. I, I, might have, I might have had a different view on this uh, if I did. Yeah, maybe. Um, Okay, well, Go ahead, Mark. I guess I'll come in with my uh, substitute for Vice, which is Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, well, Ron a Ron Howard movie, the second Ron Howard movie. A Ron Howard had, joint. A Ron Howard <laughs> joint, um, starring Tom Hanks, uh, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, Ed Harris. This is the story about the Apollo 13, you know, uh, rocket, I guess, shuttle. Uh where they had some technical problems and basically they have to try to get back to earth without dying um and that involves a lot of you know this is the first movie i saw that talked about really in-depth technical space stuff that as far as i know is actually accurate um like the slingshotting around them using the gravitational force of the moon to slingshot around and get back um which you know comes up in uh, the martian and stuff like that uh, and this is a uh, great performances by Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon in particular. Um, and honestly, this pick is for my mom. She loves this movie, but, uh, <laughs> shout out Stacy. Okay. Uh, this, shout out. this movie is from 1995. It's probably the oldest one we're going to talk about. It's uh, mm -hmm. a budget of 52 million and it pulled in 355 million. Probably this was like at the height of Tom Hanks powers. Um, you know, before he really entered like the the pantheon of acting gods, and he was just a really really good actor. Before or after Forrest Gump? Uh, this would be after, after Forrest Gump. Okay, immediately after. Yeah. Uh, I think the next year. Yeah, this is like the like I said, it's it's this is like Tom Hanks's character launched into the atmosphere. So did his career. Huh. Like that. Ah. <laughs> get it get it <laughs> but this movie is excellent it's uh you know it's got suspense in it it's got you know a little bit of feel good and you know some good old-fashioned american patriotism and i think that it uh is ron howard's best movie this actually made me think yeah. about something i was wondering before too is you know how do you determine whether something is like a good biopic or not when it, like I, I okay i guess a better way to say is how much do you think the plot of it itself, like what the biopic is about carries a biopic. Like, is it, it, it must be easier to make a biopic about something that is like as an in, insane a story as Apollo 13. It's like, they must've had their work cut out for them. But then I wonder too, is, uh, you know, are there specific things about the filmmaking of it that make, that would make it stand up on its own if it weren't about this 
crazy specific story. Um, I think in this specific case, I do think obviously uh, subject matter is very important, like Vice. You know, I yeah. had a lot of problems with it, but the subject matter is interesting and the performances drive that subject matter, so I still love it. But the cinematography in this movie is really good because half of it takes place within the cabin of a lunar module. You know, it's cramped and it's, you know, that adds to this kind of feeling that, oh my gosh, we're going to die, you know, that like whole kind of thing. Um, and it feels claustrophobic. And I think that uh, that really, really accentuates and it helps with the feel and the, uh, I don't want to say the message, that's not the right word, but just the vibe of the film is really accentuated by Ron Howard's directing and the cinematography. I a hundred percent. Yeah. And on top of the excellent story. So going off your point, Punya, I think I look at biopics in two separate categories, the ones that have the story and sort of the event attached to it. And the ones that have the characters attached to it. And they each have sort of opposite problems of each other. So Apollo 13, it has the events and it has sort of the general story that happens, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have the characters. So they have to build the characters out of the plot. Whereas something like The Big Sick, maybe not the best example, but they had the characters already. They then had to build out the plot to fit the characters. Right. So I think it, it really depends on what kind of biopic you're going for there. Um, well, Apollo 13 is definitely one that started with the general story and moved in on the characters, whereas Big Sick, I feel like, did the opposite. Started on the characters, moved out to the general story. And in my opinion, I think the better ones, this goes back to, like, Darkest Hour. What's bad about Darkest Hour? Too much on the character. I think starting mm -hmm. the other way, starting with the event, starting with whatever you're talking about, and developing the character through that is generally the better way to make a good biopic. And I would say Big Sick is kind of a uh, the exception that proves the rule in that case. Yeah. But... Um, in my opinion, that's definitely, you need that subject matter and then the characters come along with that. And if you start the other way, it's just not as good. Totally. Yeah, no, that's, a, agree. that's a good distinction to make. That's a great pick, Mark. I, It's one of those movies that I always forget about, but every time I watch, I'm always just sucked right back into it. Mm -hmm. And it's a great pick. Yeah. Um, I'll go with mine. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, we got Michael Keaton again. We're going to be talking about 2017's film Spotlight. Mm, interesting. So Spotlight is a film that is not fun to watch. Or can, but can you give me a, it like is a, a, a great very film. Description because I haven't. I'm not familiar yeah. with it at all. Watch it right so now. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. You should definitely watch it. But it is the story about the spotlight team of reporters at the Boston Globe who slowly but surely in, I believe, the late 90s, early 2000s, uncover a child molestation cover-up within the Catholic Church that ends up growing to be nationwide and even worldwide at a certain point. So they're basically the first people that broke this story. And so the the movie itself uh, centers around the group of reporters at the Boston Globe, played by Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, uh, Rachel McAdams, uh, with supporting roles from Liev Schreiber and Stanley Tucci. Um, it is not a fun movie because of the subject matter. You're watching these people interview uh, children that have been molested, uh, priests that have molested children. Like... What they're talking about is not fun whatsoever, man. But the writing in this film is unbelievable. It is one of the best created films I've ever seen when it comes to the sort of cause and effect of uh, storytelling. 
they uncover this, which leads to this, which leads to this. Um, and it has that typical cinematic backdrop of a newsroom to work off of, um, which does kind of inherently add that driving nature. You always hear typewriters typing. You always hear people working. And you're watching these uh, reporters go through and slowly but surely try not to lose their mind as they're unraveling this whole case. Um, the standout performance by far is Mark Ruffalo, um, even though he kind of overacts a little bit. Um, I don't know if you remember the scene, Mark, but when he starts screaming about how they knew and they covered up, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is incredible. They knew! It's so funny. Um, but... Man, this movie had a $20 million budget, grossed about $98 million, ended up winning Best Picture for 2017-2018. It's very factually accurate for the most part. I think the best part of the film, and mild spoilers, um, the movie ends without really any resolution because um, the actual reporters, the real-life people, didn't want the fact that they won a Pulitzer Prize out of this reporting to be included in the movie because they didn't feel like it was an important part of the story. The story to them is the actual reporting and uncovering the truth, not the accolades and awards that they got after, Um, which I think is a really, really smart choice and really kind of adds to the realism of this film. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, it, it... As much like shit as we were talking on the Academy earlier, this is, you know, something they got right. This is probably yes. the best movie of the year uh, in 2017. It was excellent. And it and- it definitely feels Oscar baity, but it doesn't feel like it was made specifically to make an o- to win an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. You know? And the performances are excellent. Um, you know, that's something I always gravitate towards in movies is performances. That's always very, very important to me. Um, and the ensemble cast in this is excellent with, uh, you know, again, Mark Ruffalo really knocking it out of the park um, and, you know, playing playing for the balcony and certain uh, certain scenes. But it works, you know, and yeah. whenever you can kind of take that, uh, I don't want to say stage acting, but when you can take that kind of style and translate it to film, I love that. Yeah, no, that it definitely feels like uh, the closest to a strictly play adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like you could take this movie, rewrite a couple scenes, and it works as a Broadway yeah, play. Yeah, 100. It really does. Um, and I think that's a credit to uh, to the writers, Josh Singer and Tom McCarthy. And when you have a movie like that, that is that low scale where it could translate really well to a play, but then you still do well. You know, like Twelve Angry Men, same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a credit to the movie usually because you're in this one location or you're with these, like this cast of characters just following them as they dialogue heavy, that kind of thing. It, it allows the writing to shine and it allows the performances to shine and you don't get too caught up on extra stuff on spectacle. And that's what I really, especially in a biopic, I think that's very, very important. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's just, it's not a fun watch, but it's an excellent movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to go ahead and vote for this uh, heavyweight category? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I have. You want to run us through the list? Yeah, real quick? we got Vice, uh, we got Apollo thirteen, and we got Spotlight. And I was thinking to myself, I've got here, mine. I was thinking to myself here, you know, would I have voted Vice first if I had done it? And I'm actually kind of glad you brought it up because. Even as I was talking about Apollo 13, I think that 
Um, I would still put that above Vice uh, if I had picked it. But I think number one has to be Spotlight. Um, that's got to be number one. And then Apollo 13 and then Vice for me. Cool. You hit the nail right on the head, Mark. Yeah. That's the exact order I have. Okay. <laughs> nice. I See, I want to give Spotlight number one because like just based on what you're telling me i like totally believe that it's like a really good movie but because i can't personally vouch for it i i would have to go yeah apollo 13 vice and then um wow uh spotlight <laughs> um yeah and, and, honest, just, and honestly it's oh like i God. did feel i did feel strongly about vice coming into this but then i hadn't actually considered so many of the things that were kind of like played out about it or that didn't that were a little unnecessary uh until you brought it up so yeah, I think Apollo yeah. 13 is one that, you know, it's harder to detract anything from it. It's a classic. It might have been the first biopic mm-hmm. I ever saw. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, great performances. Parker, you're going to be mad. Yep, I lost. <laughs> it's a tie. It's a tie between me and oh, you. Son of a but bitch. But you voted son for me. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Why does this always happen to me? <laughs> I voted for you this time, all right? I voted for uh... you. Apollo 13 is first and then spotlight and then vice um i can't hate on it though apollo 13 so good it is it is <laughs> and i think i think in in my mind this is definitely a 1a 1b situation um but i will happily take the belt uh <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. god damn it man uh okay well i think that does it for episode three of the movie weight classes want to thank you all for listening again um bi-weekly show episodes out every other wednesday um next episode we'll be talking about dumb fun action movies um i think it's uh i'm really excited to talk about this category y'all. like yeah it's there's a lot of interpretation there because who knows maybe your idea of a smart action movie matches my idea of a dumb one and you know i have a big dumb action movie in my top three movies all time i'm very excited to talk about it uh i, I don't know if you guys have ever heard me talk about it. i'm sure you have I'm very excited for this category. I'll also say, leave five-star review. Helps us out a lot in yes. terms of visibility. Send me a screenshot of your five-star review to at J. That's M-A-E-R-K-J on Twitter. And I will, um, I'll, I'll write a haiku for you. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Smash that motherfucking subscribe button or whatever. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> download. Tell your friends. and uh, Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Weight Classes. And uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.